USS Callister's message is clear. You better watch out for the nerds because when they get too powerful, they will lock you in their computer simulations and torture you forever. All right, I am finally back. I apologize that I'm getting this out a little later than anticipated. I wanted to do one week at a minimum, and it appears that I'm in day eight. So I just want to say thank you, and I appreciate all of your patience. Uh, Now that that's out of the way, let's dive right into this episode. Of course, this episode was suggested to me by uh, Brian Campbell, uh, listener extraordinaire. And uh, when he said it to me, I thought, yes, absolutely. And here we are. Now, I've seen this episode a couple times, and uh, I cannot wait to dive into this. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Black Mirror, it doesn't really matter. You don't need to watch the show in any particular order. Black Mirror is a show that you can watch piecemeal, much like Twilight Zone. It doesn't matter where you jump in. You can get in there, get to work. You have nothing to worry about. There's no through line to follow. It's all disconnected stories um, with no through line whatsoever, except it's always, that thematically, the show seems to be almost acting as a warning to uh, the, the, the booming technology. Uh, AI, specifically, seems to be at the forefront of a lot of these, uh, at a lot of these stories. There's always some sort of science fiction or near science element that is part of what is going on in the story, which allows us to explore themes uh, that are hard to explore without the technology. Um, and that's something we've talked about over on the Science Fiction Film Podcast quite a bit. So, like I have been doing as of late, I'm not going to get too much into, uh, you know, the plot or the big spoiler at the end. Actually, I take that back. I probably will with this episode. So if you are interested in the USS Callister, um, I do have talking points, but some of those talking points are going to be around some of the plot points in the episode. So I'm going to talk about this one a little bit differently. So uh, I am warning you, and again, there's no agenda here. I'm just going to talk for 30 minutes, and that's going to be that. Um, but I am warning you of potential spoilers. I don't know if there will be, but I'm guessing there will be. So I actually will warn you on this. But good news, you can head over to Netflix and watch this episode. It's the Fourth season? Fourth season, first episode, uh, USS Calcio. Like I said, it's about an hour long. You don't require any frame of reference from the show. It, there's literally no reason to not go watch it. I highly recommend it, especially if you're a science fiction fan. It's outstanding. Now, this episode of television does some very clever things. And I'm going to tell you this right up front, and this might surprise some of you listening. Although a great episode, there's a couple of questions I have. And this seems to be a problem anytime you deal with technology where you quite haven't worked out the boundaries of that technology, where you haven't really laid out the rules. And when you don't lay out the rules and you allow us to use our imaginations, we, forget we, I tend to use my imagination to think, well, what if this? How come Daly just can't do this in the simulator? How come the wormhole means this in the simulator? Why? Why wouldn't he build in fail-safes? All of that stuff doesn't make sense right now if you haven't seen the episode. But don't worry. Some of the plot points are going to create the talking points, which is why I'm warning of the spoilers. And my point is, a great episode of television. Outstanding. 
Not perfect, however. There are some issues I have with it, which I do want to talk about. But I think the first thing I want to do with this episode is just zero in on the cast because, wow, this is a great cast for a one-off television show. You've got Jesse Plemons, who is excellent. Uh, I remember seeing him in Black Mass, and of course, he's in Fargo. He's excellent. I just watched that film, Game Night, which was actually really good. I highly recommend it. It's a good, dumb comedy. And uh, Jesse Plemons has a small part in it, and he's great. Um, it has Kristen Milotti, who is, uh, excuse me, Miliotti, I believe is how you say it. I think it's Kristen Miliotti. She plays Nanette Cole. Uh, Jesse Plemons, of course, plays Robert Daly. Jimmy Simpson. How awesome is this guy? He has such a wide range, right? This is something we just said about Wiggum on the Beirut podcast. And that's Jimmy Simpson is one of those actors who can play a wide, I mean, just look at the, is it the McPoyles? <laughs> look at him. Look at him in Always Sunny. Then look at him in Westworld. And then look at him in this. Uh, the guy has a lot of range. Um, of course, uh, we also have uh, Michaela Coel, Billy Magnuson, Melanka Brooks, Oshi Ilkhil, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Paul G. Raymond as Kabir Dudani, uh, Hamid Anamashan, Anamashan as Pizza Guy, and then um, Aaron Paul actually does the gamer voice at the end, which is pretty cool. So shout out to Aaron Paul for for appearing in this. I thought that was kind of clever. So the cast is excellent. You know, the more the more I watch really good television, like an episode of Black Mirror, specifically USS Callister, but take your pick. It's it, TV has been elevated. It's it's. I'm telling you, it's a golden age of television because I feel like TV has been elevated into a spot where you are no longer allowed to say, "Wow, what great acting!" And I, and I don't mean that as as a negative. I don't mean that as a mark against it. But the, but the, but the quality has gone so high with television that we're really getting to a place where some things just will not be acceptable because the competition is too high. I equate this to podcasting a little bit, which isn't quite there yet. But I will say this. People are starting to get to a point where the level of podcasting, the skill of podcasting, the technology, the discovery, the expertise of podcasting as it grows throughout the years is starting to create a an expectation of quality. If your sound quality is bad, if you say like, 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 um, 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 you know, you know, you know, too many times, all of these things are going to start to be noticed now as the bar is elevated, Okay. And I think we're seeing that with television. I think we're seeing Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad or Mad Men or The Wire or Take Your Pick. So much good television. Fargo, okay? Black Mirror, the, 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 uh, the show we're talking about today. If you don't have your acting ducks in a row, if you don't put together a good script, people are going to come after you. So it's almost like the baseline is you have to be good and I feel like Black Mirror understands that enough and wanted to open their fourth season with a bang because the fact that they put this particular cast together means that they know that the bar has been set for television and their first three seasons are part of why the bar is where it is today. And I think knowing that going into your fourth season, you want to start strong, you're coming in, sci-fi is hot right now, and... You put together this cast, 
and it's excellent. So, yes, I am saying the expectation for the average viewer is going to be higher than it was once upon a time, and that matters. And now we're in this place where it's just not going to be acceptable if it isn't. We're not going to put up with it. There's too much time. There's too many options in television, too much on-demand entertainment to stream. You don't have to gather on the TV at 6 o'clock where some dumb show has your attention because it's the only dumb show to watch. Those days are over. And the bar keeps being risen. And the consumer, in this case, the viewer, benefits from this, quote, competition. It's great. This golden age of television, as 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 I'm calling it, I'm probably not the first one, is really something to behold. Now, how does that relate to uh, what we're about to watch? And, and what are the specifics about what we're going to watch? What are, some, what are some of the ideas? The first thing I want to talk about with USS Callister is I want to talk about the writing intelligence. And that is this. So many things that I view are good because they set up what appears to be obvious expectations and then they not only knock them down, but they are able to turn them entirely around. This is a sign of of good writing, be it in drama or even in comedy, right? I can think of a bunch of great comedians. I can think of a bunch of great sets or great specials. Kurt Metzger had a special called White Precious. And he had this real ability to create expectations with the premise of the joke and then turn it 180 degrees with the punchline, right? It's, it's just, you know, when you, when you have a joke that, and I don't want to do his bits, but when you have a joke that's, that's you start prompting the audience, you guys believe in gay marriage? Of course, everyone is saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I don't. And you're like, what? First of all, that makes you chuckle. That's just funny because he's turning your expectations around, right? But enough about that. Go listen to it. With this, they're setting up these in these great expectations that they're then going to turn on their head. And it starts with, first of all, this cheesy, kind of borderline creepy, making out with all the girls in the end, Star Trek homage. And, and this is very much original series homage. Uh, the, the way they film this particular opening scene is something they don't do again through the entire episode. The, the, the lighting has a very top-down look to it. There's long shadows. It feels like original series Star Trek, the way they shoot these opening episodes. It's not widescreen, right? It's four by three, and it feels really corny. It feels like this is going to be an homage to Star Trek, but... If you've watched three seasons of Black Mirror, you know something is going to be amiss here. Something is not going to be right. But it seems innocent at first. It seems like kind of this dorky guy indulging in this fantasy. Harmless so far. And then they start to layer in the weirdness, right? We meet this bookish, sheepish man played by Plemons, and he goes to work at this place called Callister Inc. And while he's checking in, we're seeing some familiar faces. We know because because of a video that there's this groundbreaking new technology called Infinity, this multiplayer immersive game. And he just is a dork. 
okay? And I mean that with all due respect. He's a brilliant guy. We're going to learn that his coding has created a fan base around him in, in Nanette. But, and, and that kind of happens quickly. But we start seeing a lot of these familiar faces in the office as he walks around. And what we're doing here is we are establishing the character. We're seeing other people that are in this game. So that's the first point of suspicion here. That's the first moment where you're watching where you're going, wow, these people are renditions in that game we saw. Were they all playing it together? I don't know, but these people look familiar. Oh, they were in the game. When I first watched this, I thought to myself, oh, they're just kind of in the game. And I noticed the faces were familiar, but I didn't start to understand why or, or, or and I definitely didn't consider the motive behind something like this. As the episode progresses, it gets very interesting because we see that he has no confidence that Walton, of course, played by Jimmy Simpson, is the CEO. Uh, and then we see uh, Nanette Cole's entrance, right? And when Nanette Cole meets uh, uh, Daly, she is fangirling and she's impressed with his code and he seems very excited at this prospect and he's smiling and laughing in kind of a geeky way and he feels good about himself. It's a, it's this shot of confidence that the chief technical officer de- desperately needs. Um, he, 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 we see the people in the office kind of looking into the office and laughing and you get the impression they're laughing at him, but you're not sure. Because part of you is wondering, is he paranoid? Is he paranoid that he is the butt of jokes because he is what he is and he is who he is? And Nanette comes in and kind of flips those expectations upside down. But this whole setup in the beginning of this episode is awesome because of the expectations they're putting before you. Oh, this C, this C, chief technical officer, Daly, he's the sheepish, sheepish guy, and we feel sorry for him because everyone in the office kind of thinks he's a putz, and even though he wrote this great code, and yes, Nanette's nice, and she's, she's all... You know, she's all soaked about his beautiful code and all this shit. And she's why I, I wanted to work here because of you. And we're thinking, oh, cool, this guy's going to get a chance. We, they want you to feel bad for Daly right from jump. Especially when we meet Walton, played by Jimmy Simpson, who's kind of a putz. He's kind of a douche. Uh, you know, he's, he's just one of those guys. You, you're like, ugh, fuck this guy, right? And... I like how we set all of these expectations up for the way these people are and how they're going to interact with daily. And of course, you know, it's not going to stay this way. This is Black Mirror, ladies and gentlemen. So long story short, he has all of these people by way of scraping their DNA from a coffee cup, from a, a fork, from a bathroom stall, from a sink, from a door handle. He, he names them all. Whatever it is, he's, he's been able to create copies of their consciousness and put them into this infinity game of which he has a mod on, and he plays his own version. And when we go into the game, when we go into the, quote, space force, no, no, what do they call it? Space something. I forget what they call it in this. Star force, perhaps. When they go into the Star Force universe, he is running the show, and you start to realize things get weird, right? 
When he's in the game, he tells Packer to get him a vanilla latte with skim milk. He uses Walton as a footrest. He's starting to exercise almost like a godlike power over his subjects in this virtual reality world. Now, if you're trying to keep up and you haven't seen it, it's pretty simple. He works with these people. He's gathered the DNA on these people and created carbon copies of their consciousness and shot them into his machine where then he goes in and because he's programmed it or modified the program, he is like a god to them and they have to serve him. So they're all his crew members. They all do shit for him. And it's just him indulging in this domination fantasy. It's really fucked up. It's really fucked up. But at the same time, it's awesome writing. Because it's the expectation 180, right? It's the, this poor guy, these guys are laughing at him. He trips and he falls. And, you know, the girl tells the other girl, stay away. And he's a fucking weirdo. He's the looky-loo. He's, he's X, Y, and Z. And... They really just assassinate his character before Nanette even has a chance to know who he is. And of course, he overhears Nanette telling, you know, the other girl, I think her name is Lowry, like, oh no, it's not like that. I just like his code. And of course, that hurts his feelings. And we feel bad. We feel bad about it. And then he goes into the simulation and he takes out his anger on these people. And then the big plot point comes where one day, after scraping DNA off of a coffee cup, Nanette wakes up in the ship and now she's in the simulation. Now, you could do a podcast for an hour easily on the idea of this stuff alone. God knows it's hot in science fiction right now. It's a big part of Westworld, the idea of are these robots sentient? Do they have rights? Should they be treated like people? Is there something damaging to our psyche or the moral fabric of our our, our minds as people? Is, is that damaged? Are we psychically, to get woo-woo on you, damaged because of the way we treat something that looks exactly like a human, that responds exactly like a human? I think that would fuck us up a little bit because it's not a toaster. You know, if you get mad and you destroy your printer office space style, people laugh at that. They go, yeah, I hate my fucking printer. You know, if your printer looked like a baby and it didn't work right, you, it, you'd be hard pressed, right? You'd be hard pressed to just smash it to pieces, even though you know it's a machine. But what does that even mean? What is a machine? What's a person? How is a person different than the machine that feels everything? You know, this is Blade Runner talk. This is Westworld talk. These are the ideas that we've talked about in perpetuity on the science fiction film podcast and just as a society in general, especially as it relates to the growing concerns of things like artificial intelligence. And this is really the thrust of the matter with this episode, this idea. But they don't spend much time on it. They spend more time on how are we going to liberate ourselves from this tyrant, right? This, this guy, Daly, you know, when he's in that universe, he reminds me of Fenton. If you haven't watched Home, uh, home Movies, which is an old animated show, you really have to. Everyone knows about Archer and um, John, John H. Benjamin, I think is his name, the, the guy who voice acts. I'm sorry, I'm probably fucking that name up. But he did Coach McGurk long before he did Archer, and he's hilarious as, as that character as well. Um, anyway, long story short, there's a kid in that show named Fenton and he's, he's that kid that so many of us knew growing up, knew growing up, which is this spoiled ass rich kid 
that makes you play with him his way and always wins his way. Like if it's playing with G.I. Joes or fucking Transformers, he was always like, no, no, Starscream wins here. We're going to do it this way. We're going to do it this way because these are my toys and you're in my house. That's exactly that mentality, that childlike mentality. It's funny. We, we look at this, this episode and we, we can equate daily to like a Hitler, this, this, uh, this terrible domineering wants to rule and humiliate people. Right, we 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 probably equate him with someone like on that scale, but it, it uh, he's almost like just a petulant child who wants people to comply to him. That's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of if this, you know, this is what you would imagine a child would make a game like a game where he can dominate, not necessarily a well-adjusted child, but you know what I'm, you, I think you I think you understand my point when I'm to, what I'm telling you here. And that's what it reminded me of this, just this petulant child. That's like, no, no, my way fucking roadblock doesn't lose to Flint or whatever. Right. He he makes it, he makes it his way. And if you don't comply, he'll punish you. He'll fucking throw your GI Joe over the fence at the neighborhood Rottweiler. He'll burn it. He'll whip it into the damn. What kind of kids did I hang out with? Holy shit. (laughs) He'll rip its legs off. Right. He'll spray paint it, whatever it's going to be. Maybe that was just me. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so I like this. I like that they're all cognizant of it. What the real mind fuck of this episode is the fact that they all have their memories and are familiar with everything they did because they're because they are consciously aware of where they were right up until they had a copy inserted into the machine. So anything from that day forward, they remember. For excuse me, anything from the day they are copied backwards, they remember. Now, if they've been in the in the game for two years, they don't know what their other self is doing two years later or what their relatives are doing two years later. But that's such a weird thing because it's like a schism. It's a, no, that's not the right word. It's, it's, I guess the easiest word, it's almost like a twin. It's like you have this twin out there and you know that it's living its life, but the reality is it's ignorant to you. So that's the other awesome thing about this episode. It's not just that they get put into the simulation and they have to try to outsmart the bad guy and get away. It's also that the people on the outside world have no idea this is going on because Daly is doing this from home in his own leisurely time with his own modifications, right? He's going into the simulation and he's dominating. He's, he's becoming a captain. I, I understand, and I think anyone who watches this episode would understand the temptation that he would face because it's clear the temptation that you would face, any of us would face to be able to jack into an alternate reality and do whatever the fuck we wanted, okay? That's why one of the one of the favorite jokes I like making uh, is something my friend uh, Nate Tamulus and I talked about on one of the bonus episodes on the Science Fiction Film Podcast, which was if there was a holodeck, the, the holodeck makes Star Trek almost like a paradox because we wouldn't get anything done, right? If you had holodecks, on a spaceship, the spaceship would end up adrift. Everyone would be drunk, and uh, you know the, the spaceship would would probably just go adrift and lose power and blow up from a lack of maintenance because everyone would be fucking in the holodeck and killing shit. That's what everyone would do in the holodeck, right? We would all indulge in our greatest fantasies. Everybody, guys and girls, straight, gay, doesn't matter. We'd all be in there doing our thing. I believe that anyway. At least I know I probably would. If I'm being honest. So my point was, I understand the temptation for daily. 
okay? Especially if you feel like you have no real social currency. Outside of being brilliant and rich, the, the real irony and tragedy of this character is this brilliant guy who probably thought he was going to be a rock star someday because he's like this awesome coder is still can't get out of his own way socially. He's awkward. He doesn't know how to behave. And he retreats into this fantasy world, which of course stunts his social growth, right? If you spend all your time in a fantasy world, your social structure is going to suffer a little bit, right? It's, that's just the way it is. So you kind of feel bad for him. You feel bad for this guy in this situation. And that's the setup and that's the expectation swap when it goes to seeing what a tyrant he is in the game. Now let's talk about some of the plot points. So essentially, they realize that what they have to do, the only way they're going to get out of this thing is if they fly into this wormhole that appears, which is an expression of a patch update. They, they surmise that if they hit that firewall with the spaceship, that they'll all be deleted as rogue code, and they'll be free because they'll be dead. At least there's that. Because the alternative is a lifetime of torture. I mean, how about this? More than a lifetime. These seemingly, these digital copies will outlive their, their temporal selves, no question, right? Because they don't age in the machine. They just get transferred into the next machine and then into the next machine. Right, so they'll be there forever. Well, I guess I guess they'll be tortured for as long as <laughs> I guess they'll be tortured for as long as Daly is entertained by this, because seemingly he'll age out eventually. But I digress. My point is, they think that if they go into this rift, that they'll all die and they'll get away. But there's a hitch here, and that's Walton says, "Oh, Daly has my son's DNA. He th- he shot him out an airlock. He says he'll do it over and over again if I don't comply. I was the first one in here." So we learn about Daly doing this like systematic erosion of people's will. How fucking dark is that? And you would imagine that Daly struggled with this at first, right? Like almost like a serial killer. Like he struggled with the first one, and then. The second person came in and he dominated that person in submission and did terrible things. And then the third and the fourth and the fifth. And by the time we get to Nanette, he just makes her fucking face disappear. And he's like, I'll let you suffocate forever and not die unless you comply. I mean, he just gets so good at this domination. He subjugates their wills so they act like good little crew members so they can be in the fantasy world that he has created and they can serve him. It's so wacky, man. Anyway... They come up with this crazy plan that they have to do, and it involves, you know, getting the, uh, getting this Omnicron thing off them. It's like a tricorder. Maybe they call it an Omnicorder or uh, Omnicron, I believe they call it. And uh, what they're trying to do is communicate with Nanette in the real world and bribe her with some some nudie photos that she has to uh, go into his house and steal the DNA he keeps and then uh, put in this fake and give them time to get to the wormhole, and then they'll all be destroyed. And yay, they win because they're not in there. So all of that is really cool, man. That's awesome. But here's where the other shoe has to drop for me, and here's where I have a couple of questions. So they assume that if they hit the firewall that they'll all die, but what's to assume he doesn't have backup copies of their consciousness that he could just reload into the game should they figure out a way to die. I'm assuming he leaves some risk in these games. I'm assuming he does something. And if one of them 
dies or an accident happens or a piece of code goes or there's a power outage or a power spike and something fucks up his program, he has to have copies of them. So I love the ideas of the episode, but then I go, well, wait, 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 wait. Why wouldn't he just, why, why wouldn't, you know, they fly into the wormhole, cut to black, we come away from black and we just see them right back where they were because he, he has redundant copies of their consciousness. It's ludicrous that he can copy their consciousness, which is fine. I'm, I'm willing to cross that bridge in the name of science fiction storytelling, but I'm not willing to accept the fact that he doesn't have copies of their consciousness on some sort of external drive somewhere. That just seems silly to me. So that was kind of one of my negatives on it. The other thing I was thinking about was you have to imagine that he has a contingency just even built into them being unable to die, right? And, and I guess, I mean, I guess I'll accept this, the patch and this connection to the internet and calling out and getting a hold of the real person. Like I dig all that stuff, right? But I thought the episode was a little bit of a cop-out at the end. Um, spoiler coming. They don't die when they hit the thing. It just strips away the Space Fleet mod. It strips away everything. And then they're just in the game in the internet. And I was like, all right. I mean, sure, you want to keep them alive. Would have been cooler if they just died and somehow trapped him in there. That would have been a cool kind of tragic, more tragic Black Mirror ending because this is probably one of the happiest endings ever of a Black Mirror episode. So I thought it was kind of a cop-out that they didn't die. I was like, eh, all right, whatever. Especially for Black Mirror. I would assume he would have just... I'm assuming the the writers would have just iced the characters and then we would have known that the that their real consciousnesses or their original consciousnesses were were fine and at work and doing their thing, right? I just think it's unbelievable that there wouldn't be copies. That's all. I also think that daily getting stuck in the game at the end seems implausible to me. A guy as brilliant as him would probably have some sort of failsafe built in should he get stuck in the game he, and, and be unable to jack his consciousness out, that there'd be like a failsafe that just was like a kill code and it shot him out of the game and he just woke up in the chair. So I was like, eh, really? I mean, I guess. It, it would have been almost dark and more insidious if at the end we... I'm, I'm bit, I, you know, it's funny. You set this... What, what I'm suggesting is kind of like a bummer ending, I guess which wouldn't have been as fun. Because at the end of the day, it, it would have been cool if somehow he got in trouble with authorities. Like they got word to the lady and the lady got him in trouble and he ended up getting arrested for copying people's consciousness or something like that. Probably not as awesome as an ending as they actually made, but I was just thinking of the consistency of the technology. Why Why would he not have copies of them if they did in fact kill themselves or fail safe spilting to where they just barely just just essentially couldn't. Um, I'm willing to look past there that, 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 that they can't kill themselves. Um, I like the fact that he stripped away their genitals to take away their ability to like enjoy themselves. You'd imagine they'd all be fucking eventually there trapped together over time. I thought that was an interesting choice by him. Um, I, I also, in, and I've said it once, but I'll say it again. I've also kind of bummed. I was like, I thought to myself, man, I... Really, he's not gonna. He's just gonna drop out in the game and be stuck there in in a coma. And he's got no kill program to get him out of there to to unjack him from the deck, from the net, from the multiverse, whatever you want to call it. I was like, ah, I don't know about that, but I did like the end. I like the I like the gamers, of course. Um, 
I like the gamer voice coming in and be like, you want to trade or I'm going to fucking waste you dudes, right? That's that's the attitude of all these gamers, right? And they just zoom off. I, I also think it's kind of interesting that they are going to be in the USS Callister and they are going to be uh, living in this virtual world forever. Uh, but I also wonder, are they going to grow insanely bored from that too and end up just offing themselves anyway? Who's to say? I mean, yes, they're free. Yes, they can do whatever they want in that self-perpetuating universe. But then I wonder, like, how deep is that? Is there, are there planets? Is, are they, can they get off the ship? And, you know, those those questions I definitely thought about. But overall, man, I really dug this episode. It was awesome. It was enjoyable. Great writing, great acting. And um, I highly recommend it. If I want to say didn't like, like, liked, and loved, I'm going to straight up say I loved this episode. Despite a couple of faux pas in terms of keeping the tech consistent, I definitely love this episode of TV. And I'm happy, and I'm very happy to have talked about it. So there you go. I'm going to wrap this up now. I'm right at about my limit here. And I want to also do this. I want to bring in the old preview. Yes, baby. All right, guys. We are going to watch a preview for our upcoming episode. So the next episode, <laughs> you guys are going to be pumped. The next episode we're going to do is we are going to cover the film Mandy. Yeah, baby. Mandy, the Sundance sensational starring old Nicolas Cage himself. I cannot wait to watch this movie. Now, I haven't seen this movie yet, but it is rentable. 2018, totally rentable. Looking forward to it. And um, what I will do before I play the preview, as I'm fond of doing, let me just tell you this synopsis as, uh, as written on IMDb. Here we go. Mandy is set in the primal wilderness of 1983, where Red Miller, a broken and haunted man, hunts an unhinged religious sect who slaughtered the love of his life. Starring Nicolas Cage, baby. And this movie looks nuts. Let's fire up the preview. His fist closed around the serpent's eye. Strange and eternal. special one, Mandy. I, too, am a special one. Let us be so very special together. So what are you going to do with that thing? I'm going hunting. So what you hunting? It's crazy evil! So in love, I'll show you love. Oh man, they wronged you. Holy shit! If you are not excited about this insane movie, I don't even know who you are. The imagery alone, the cinematography looks incredible. They're saying it's Nick Cage's most unforgettable performance ever complete and utter madness it's very red i cannot wait for this movie my expectations are this is going to be mind-blowingly awesome i'm guessing by the end of this movie i'm going to be thinking about how 
utterly bananas it was. You know, Matt Anderson of LSG Media told me he's already seen it, and he said it was totally bananas. I expect it to be totally bananas, and I'm really looking forward to it. I hope it's good, man. That's what I hope for. I want to be saying I loved it at the end of next episode. All right. So with that, I'm going to bid you good people adieu. I apologize for the delay in getting this one out. I am going to still try to maintain my once per week commitment. We do have a lot going on over here and I really have to be careful with my time and shuffling it around. We got X-Files. We got the science fiction film podcast. We got bonus content. Um, We got a lot going on over here. Plenty of content. Make sure you go check it all out on the web. LibertyStreetGeek.net. Don't forget to share this podcast. Make sure you subscribe to it. Don't miss out. Shout it from the rooftops, ladies and gentlemen. This is a word of mouth business. We got no marketing department over at LSG Media, just us and you guys. Any help would be appreciated. All right, I'm getting out of here and I will see you guys in about a week's time. Take it easy. memory of the first time. I was attending my niece's wedding and was at the sink in the men's room when a wet spot on the front of my trousers caught my eye. An unwelcome contribution from my bladder. Fortunately, I was wearing black and with my jacket buttoned, no one would be the wiser anyway, but for me, I knew it was time to see a urologist. Want to laugh during life's most embarrassing moments? LSG can help. Go to libertystreetgeek.net. Podcasters will give you a reason to wet yourself.